You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 1, No Defective Sacrifices. Prior to his death and their entry into Canaan, Moses is reviewing many aspects of the law, focusing on the people more than the priests and their duties. Do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect or flaw in it, for that would be detestable to him. This was mentioned in Deuteronomy 15.21. To bring a defective animal for sacrifice was to show contempt for his name, and to fail to acknowledge him as the ultimate provider of the best in life. They could not conceal such a sin, since he saw it all. In Malachi 1.8 he says, When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Verses 2 to 7, Punishment for Idolatry. Then Moses gives direction on what to do if anyone, man or woman, is found violating his covenant, here described in terms of idolatry. He describes a charge, an investigation, a verdict, and a sentence. If a man or woman living among you in one of the towns the Lord gives you is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God in violation of his covenant and contrary to my command, has worshipped other gods, bowing down to them or to the sun or the moon or the stars in the sky, and this has been brought to your attention, then you must investigate it thoroughly. Here it refers to worshipping things in the sky. Hezekiah's son, King Manasseh, did this. Once it is brought to their attention, they are to investigate it thoroughly. This is a serious charge, and it was to be dealt with severely, so as to purge the evil from among you. So if it is true, and it has been proved that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, take the man or woman who has done this evil deed to your city gate and stone that person to death. This cannot be based on gossip or hearsay, but if their investigation has proven the charge to be true, then the person is to be stoned to death publicly. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death, but no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. This was a key element of the justice system. For a capital case, where there is a death sentence, the requirement was for two witnesses. The hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting that person to death, and then the hands of all the people. You must purge the evil from among you. Because the witness was brought forward, they must be the first to cast a stone. In this way, they were accepting responsibility for their testimony. There were laws regarding false witnesses. If they were found to give false testimony, then the punishment that would have gone to the accused went to the accuser instead. Unfortunately, we don't see many cases where this was actually carried out. Instead, they tolerated and encouraged idolatry throughout the nation, which led to their expulsion from the land to Assyria and Babylon. Verses 8-13, to 13, Law Courts If cases come before your courts that are too difficult for you to judge, whether bloodshed, lawsuits, or assaults, take them to the place the Lord your God will choose. 
The New King James Version is more specific than the NIV. It says, if a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, which is the charge of manslaughter versus murder, or between one judgment or another, that's the verdict of guilty or not guilty, or between one punishment or another, that's the sentence, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. Go to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office at that time. Inquire of them, and they will give you the verdict. You must act according to the decisions they give you at the place the Lord will choose. Be careful to do everything they instruct you to do. Act according to whatever they teach you and the decisions they give you. Do not turn aside from what they tell you, to the right or to the left. Anyone who shows contempt for the judge or for the priest who stands ministering there to the Lord your God is to be put to death. You must purge the evil from Israel. All the people will hear and be afraid and will not be contemptuous again. So if they went to the priests and Levites and failed to heed their decisions, it would show contempt. And this is where we get the term contempt of court. This rebellion against authority instituted by God was seen as an evil that must be purged. Because of our sin and fear of punishment, we are more pleased with God's attribute of mercy than his justice. Verses 14 to 17, Principles Governing Kings God inaugurated his relationship with the nation with leaders, but without a human king, because he was their king. He ruled over them, protected them from their enemies, and provided for them. It was not a democracy where people rule, but a theocracy where God ruled. And although they were a theocracy, Moses anticipated a day when they would ask for a king. So he gave explicit instructions about the qualifications he should meet. They were not to choose him based on considerations such as popularity, appearance, or skill. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, for the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or and gold. First, the king must be chosen by God, then he must be a fellow Israelite and not a foreigner. He mustn't do three things, accumulate great numbers of horses, marry many wives, or accumulate great wealth. Included in this is a prohibition against returning to Egypt, and the reason why he is not to marry many women, because his heart will be led astray. So unlike the nations around them, they were not to be reliant on military might or political alliances through marriage or wealth for position and authority. David violated the last two, while his son Solomon violated all three. Solomon's foreign wives brought idolatry into the kingdom, which resulted in the kingdom being divided. And Nehemiah 13.26 said, 
Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon king of Israel sinned? Among the many nations there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. In 1 Samuel 8, when the people asked, do, people do ask for a king, the prophet Samuel gives further warnings about the hardship they will experience because of it. Verses 18 to 20, Spiritual Life, Read, Write, Honor, and Obey. So in regards to the spiritual life of the king, he is instructed, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. So this assumed the copies of the law were kept with the Levitical priests, that anyone could access them and make copies, that he was literate, and responsible for reading it for himself daily. He was to be a student and scholar of scripture. By reading it carefully, he would see that although he was king, he was to be humble, since he was not better than his fellow Israelites in relation to obedience to the law of God, but he was a sinner just like they were. He was to revere or honor God and obey him. The word of God is a mirror that shows us what we're really like. It keeps us humble, and a humble king will not become a power-hungry tyrant. He would rule not for his own benefit, but for the sake of the people, as a shepherd over sheep. We saw both David and Solomon were immersed in the word of God. During a bleak time in their history, King Josiah would reinstitute this approach. The result would be a long reign. But because most of the kings failed in this regard, their reigns were short. Only a few kings of Israel had significant reigns. Saul, 42 years, David, 40, Solomon, 40 years, Asa, 41 years, Joash, 40 years, Jeroboam II, who is in Israel, 41 years, Hezekiah, 29 years, Josiah, 31 years. The rest had short reigns, some as short as seven days before they were murdered by their successors. But overall, the failure of even their best kings to live up to these ideals showed the need for a better king, a king of kings. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? All the offerings and sacrifices of the Old Covenant were types and shadows pointing to Christ and were insufficient in themselves to deal with sin perfectly and permanently. But he is the fulfillment of all, and his sacrifice is superior to them. Jesus could do this because he was a sinless sacrifice. Any animal offered to God must be without blemish or defect, and this pointed forward to Jesus, who was the perfect, sinless, sacrificial Lamb of God, bearing our sins. They were to bring their best to him. We should give our best. Idolatry was forbidden because it misrepresented God as a creature 
rather than the Creator. Revelation, not imagination, is the only legitimate portrait of God. Jesus is the only exact representation of God. We are to avoid idols still. They require two witnesses in a capital case so that false witnesses who lied uh, uh, because of jealousy, hatred, or a desire for gain were less likely. Jesus said in matters of church discipline, two witnesses were required, as did Paul. Paul told Timothy not to entertain an accusation against an elder unless there were two or three witnesses. Jesus used this rule to prove that he was who he claimed to be since he had more than two witnesses who testified on his behalf, himself and his father. In the New Covenant, false witnesses were brought forward against Jesus and Stephen. Both times it resulted in the unlawful death of the defendant. The writer to the Hebrews said, Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He then compared that with the worst crime of rejecting the gospel and showing contempt for the blood of Christ. The book of Revelation describes two witnesses who will preach but be killed and resurrected. For difficult law cases, they were to go to the priests and Levites for the final say and they must abide by their decision. To fail to do so was to show contempt for the judge and the priest. Paul says the authorities we have over us are placed there by God. Jesus is the ultimate judge who always judges cases fairly. The king was to be chosen by God. When we choose leaders, we should do so humbly, appealing to God to guide us. There were principles that were to govern the behavior and character of kings. Unfortunately, even David, the best king, failed. But Jesus is the King of the Jews and King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He was the ideal king because he did for them what no other king could do. He paid their penalty and restored their relationship with God. The king was to be a student and scholar of scripture. He was to write the scriptures and read them daily. He was to revere or honor God and obey him. He was to be humble. Jesus had God's word in his heart and always obeyed. We are to do the same. The king had to be a fellow Israelite. Jesus was made like them, fully human in every way. Kings were not to be influenced by riches, military might, or swayed by idolatry no matter who introduced it. He was to remain humble. These were ways that Satan tempted Jesus. We must avoid the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life which comes not from the Father but from the world. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 18. May God bless the study of his word.